This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Great, yeah, my name is Catherine. I do student stuff here at New Community, and I work for an organization called Fusion, which also does stuff with students across the UK. Um, I feel like this is the space where you then say a bit more about your life. Um, I don't have any kids. I'm getting married in a month, so that's really fun to John, who did the video. Um, yay, woo! Um, and I don't have any pets, so that's it about me. Um, but yeah, I am kicking off our Belong series this morning, and I'm really excited about this series because we are looking at what it means to be part of new community, not just to watch on a Sunday, to come along, to attend, to say, yeah, I sometimes go to new community, but really to belong to this family. And we're looking at that through the lens of disciples, family members, and missionaries. So over the next six weeks, we're unpacking what does it mean to be a disciple? What about a family member? What about a missionary? Because church was never meant to be this live streamed thing that you sort of sit at home and watch like a TV show and then watch the next thing that pops up on TV or the next YouTube video. And it was never meant to be a sort of stage performance where I get up and maybe pace a bit too much and make a few people feel a bit queasy because I'm moving around a lot. Um, it is a family Church is something you belong to, and no matter who you are, if you are here, if this is your home, you have a very important part to play. Whether you ever step foot on this stage, whether you ever bring a contribution, you are a key part of this local body of believers. So let's belong together. So I'm talking about what it means to be a disciple this morning. And I thought, where should I start? What do I think about being a disciple? And, I, and then I thought, yeah, I have thoughts and I could share my thoughts. But really, the only place to start is with the words of Jesus. So that is where we're going to begin. We're going to be looking at Luke 9, verses 23 to 25, to discover what Jesus says about being a disciple. Then he said to them all, this is Jesus speaking, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the world yet lose or forfeit their soul? That verse sort of wakes you up on a Sunday morning, doesn't it? Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life will save it. And we see this reiterated throughout the Gospels, don't we? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, leave everything behind. You're a fisher. That's great. That's awesome. Put your net down. Follow me. You're not going to do that anymore. You're going to be a fisher of men. Oh, you've got loads of money, loads of resources. That's great. Sell everything you own. Then you can follow me. Everything in your life, he asks you, are you willing to put it down, to lay it on the cross, to pick up that cross and follow him, to deny yourself, to lose your life, to go with him, to be a disciple. 
And the disciples at the time, they would have heard this a little bit differently to us because they don't have a picture of Jesus on the cross like we do when we hear these verses. That's where our minds go. Their minds wouldn't have gone to that. They would have had very vivid images of criminals being shouted at, spat at, mocked, being dragged through the streets, carrying heavy crosses, blood dripping off of their body then, being whipped. That is what the disciples would have thought of. It was shocking for Jesus to say, that's what I want you to do, to do that for me, to take up this heavy cross, to be willing to be uncomfortable, embarrassed, publicly mocked. Do that and you can follow me. For the disciples, it must have been a huge blow. And it is for us as well. It's shocking. It sort of takes us aback. But then the confusing thing about this is we hear Jesus say this, deny yourself, lose your life, give up everything. And at the same time, we then know that Jesus comes tenderly to people and says, I offer you life. And life in the full, fullness of life, joy, peace. My love surpasses everything. In giving your life to me, you will find life. And that sort of seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Deny yourself, lose everything, be willing to be uncomfortable, follow me. And yet fullness of life and peace and joy and God's love and eternal salvation. And it might feel like a contradiction, but I think it's more of a tension to hold. Yes, this is true. But yes, this is also true. This cross that we have to bear mustn't be one that we have to strive to pick up and we struggle to carry our whole lives and it's hard work and we're really trying our hardest to carry this cross and be a disciple and do the right things. No, it must be a joy to pick it up, a light burden, this easy yoke, this light burden that Jesus promises us. He must help us carry this cross. And it's in that carrying that we find life in him. But this is a bit of a confusing concept. And I was like going around in circles, getting my head around it. Like, yeah, there is stuff you have to do, but then this, and how do I explain that? And then I had a conversation that really helped me. And it, it just unpicked a bit of this confusion. So a few weeks ago, I was speaking to a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and she didn't knock on my door. They've had to stop doing that because of COVID. Um, it's affected all of us. Even the Jehovah's Witnesses can't knock on doors anymore, very wise. Um, so that was great. But it just so happened that the lady who was cutting my hair um, was a Jehovah's Witness. So we started having this really interesting conversation where I was asking her questions about like how she became a Jehovah's Witness, why she chose it, whether she looked into other faiths, um, what meetings looked like for them, just, just all the standard questions. I was just picking her brains about everything. Um, and just for context, for those of you who aren't um, familiar with like what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, they do read the Bible, but they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe Jesus is God, so they're not Christ followers. Okay. So I'm asking her these questions, and then I asked her about door knocking, evangelism, proselytization. I asked her what, whether she did it, what she thought about it. Obviously, I quite like sharing my faith, so I was quite interested to see like, how she felt about it. Um, and she said, yeah, before 
COVID, I was knocking on doors all the time, just wandering around Kent, knocking on loads of doors, sharing faith, giving out leaflets, whatever, whatever. And I said to her, oh, do you enjoy it? Like, is that quite exciting? Do you, like, engage in good conversations? Have you had much pushback and all of that? And she said, no, I really don't enjoy it. Actually, it's really awkward. I, I really, it's my least favorite thing. I really don't like doing it. And I was actually shocked and taken aback by her response. And I was really appreciative of her honesty, her vulnerability to be able to say to me, like, yeah, no, I really don't like this. Knowing that, like, we have such different beliefs. I totally believe Jesus is God. And I told her, like, I love sharing my faith and all of this. But she felt confident enough to say, no, I actually find it awkward. I don't like it. It's, it's not something I like to do. So I said to her, if you don't enjoy it, why do you do it then? Why not just not do it? Why, why not just stop and not share your faith? Why not not knock on doors? She said, because I have to. I have to do it. And that was really helpful. And that is when the penny dropped for me. She has to do it. Of course, she has to do it. Her salvation is hung in a balance. She has no assurance of faith. The minute she decided to become a Jehovah's Witness, this massive cross was lumped on her back. And every day she has to try and do enough and be enough and prove to people enough that she is good enough to keep carrying this so that maybe one day she might just go to paradise or be in the new earth or whatever it is for them, that she might be good enough just to make it. So it doesn't matter whether she doesn't like it. It doesn't matter matter if there's no life, no joy in it, no fullness of life, no peace. She has to do it and she has to keep going. But for us as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, as those who walk in the way of Jesus, we don't have to do anything. You as a disciple of Jesus, you don't have to do anything, nothing, squat, because God himself was hung on a cross and he dealt with it all. So you aren't like that Jehovah's Witness who's got a cross strapped to her back and you're trying your hardest. You don't have to live like that. When you approach the cross and you approach costly decisions, hard decisions, laying things down, your life down for Christ, you meet Jesus there. He doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't see you as this sinner who he's like, go on, prove yourself. Can you carry that? Give it a go. He says, pick up your cross. And as you reach down to pick up this cross, Jesus reaches down and picks it up with you. And you carry it together. That is what it's like being a disciple of Jesus. And we have a choice every single day whether we do pick up the cross or not. And it doesn't change anything about our salvation. It doesn't change how God feels about us. But it does change our experience of life because it's clear that God has made this beautiful roadmap, this blueprint of how we are meant to live in daily giving ourselves to him so that we might experience fullness of life and fullness of joy. So in doing these things, in picking up the cross, that is where we find fullness of life. That's where we find fullness of joy. It's where we grow as believers and followers of Christ. But it doesn't always feel like that, does it? Even if we are doing the right things and reading our Bible and going to church and 
attending a community and praying and sharing the gospel, sometimes it can feel lifeless. And I can probably say most people in this room have had moments where they just feel like, I'm doing all the things, but I'm just not experiencing that, the fullness of life. And I'm not, I'm just, I feel like it is a heavy burden. I know Jesus says it isn't, but I feel like it is at the moment. And I was reading lots of different articles on discipleship this week, and um, I came across this beautiful analogy by a pastor called Bradley Cooper in an article on the website Desiring God. And it is, it's really fantastic, and it, it, and it helps just understand the, why sometimes it can feel clunky and weird and like it's lifeless, and we can feel like it is more like having a cross strapped on our back. And so just go with me on this analogy. So imagine you walk into a room, and this room is covered in mirrors. There's mirrors all over the walls. It's a dance studio. And you look over into the corner of the room, and there is this beautiful dancer. And she's dancing and moving with grace and with elegance. And you're just captivated by her. You're watching and you're thinking, wow, this is just an incredible dance. And the more you watch, you realize that she's got some earphones in. She's listening to something. She's listening to the most beautiful piece of music she's ever heard. And she hasn't even noticed you walk in the room. She just keeps dancing and dancing. And even the most complex moves just look graceful and easy and beautiful. And after you watch for a while, a second dancer walks in and she stands beside you and she's also watching this dancer. And she says to you, I want to dance like that. I want to do that. I want to be able to dance like that. And so she joins the first dancer and she starts just studying this dancer and copying the technique and doing the things. And she's doing the right moves, but they are slightly clunky. They're hesitant. They're offbeat because she isn't listening to the music that this first dancer is listening to and for a while it's it's sort of working out they're kind of dancing together but after too long the second dancer gets tired and gives up that's it she just has to walk away she has to give up because it's just too hard and this first dancer didn't even notice that someone else has started dancing she's just captivated by this sound by this music sometimes we can feel like that second dancer we're looking at other christians or we're listening to preachers and making a list of all the things we need to do the technique of being a christian the checklist of faithfulness and we're trying and we're watching others and we're doing all the things, but it's clunky and it's awkward. And the invitation from God this morning is you were never meant to be the second dancer. You are that first dancer because there is no difference in ability of the two or personality or talent or anything like that. The only difference between the two of them is that one is listening to the most beautiful piece of music and one is dancing in silence. And because of who Jesus is and what he does for you, you always, always have the option to tune in to his voice, to his Holy Spirit. It's like what Dave said a few weeks ago, every day, 
inviting the Holy Spirit for help, inviting God in to help you so that you can be like that first dancer where she's experiencing fullness of joy and fullness of life and just dancing and things feel easier and even the hardest parts of the dance are beautiful and wonderful because she's listening to this soundtrack that is just taking her away. And let's invite God to be that in our lives, to just be captivated by him so that we might dance to his rhythm, his beat, not just try self-improvement and doing the best we can, but really living in his grace and in his love. And we see that this is how Jesus disciples people, how he invites disciples, and how he transforms people's lives. A story that I've been yeah, captivated by over the past few months is the story of the woman at the well. So you see this woman sat alone, and Jesus comes to her. And she's thinking, I shouldn't even be alone with a woman, uh, alone with a man, let alone a Jewish man. And yet Jesus approaches her. And he says some pretty shocking things. If you know the story of the woman at the well, he basically exposes all of her sin. He says, I know all this about you. This is what's going on in your life. And yet the woman's response isn't one of shame or one of fear. She doesn't crumple into herself and think, I'm an awful person. No, actually, being in the presence of Jesus and feeling fully known is the most freeing thing that has ever happened to her in her life. And she runs back into the town where she probably would have walked around trying to hide her face from people who knew what she was getting up to. And she wants everyone to see her and everyone to hear what's happened to her because she has heard the most beautiful voice. She is dancing to a new soundtrack, not in silence anymore, trying to do the right things, but she's got a new heartbeat to her life. The heartbeat of God is behind her. She knows she is loved and known by the saviour of the world, and it changes her. And now imagine that this woman had decided not to go to the well, but instead she'd woken up that morning and thought, Today is the day. This is my New Year's resolution. I'm not going to sin anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to follow the law. I'm going to whatever it is. I'm going to change. This is the day that I am changed. I can't imagine she would have run into the town with gusto saying, Hey, everybody, I've got a New Year's resolution. I'm going to change, and I'm not a sinner anymore. We're on a one-day streak at the moment. I'm going for the whole week. At the moment, it's only been a couple hours, but we're trying our best, and that, that is what we're doing. I've changed from today. She's not going to have done that, is she? She's still going to walk around thinking, everyone else here knows who I actually am. I'm trying my best to change, but I can't. I can't do all the things that everyone else makes look easy. I just can't do that. I can't stop sinning. I can't follow those rules or do those things. It's not until she met with Jesus, she heard his voice, his words of love, that she was truly transformed. And when we get that, it changes how we pursue our discipleship to Jesus and how we disciple those around us. It means that we're less focused on sin management and saying, right, we're going to meet up twice a week. You're going to tell me how you've sinned, 
or how you were tempted, and I'm going to pray for you. And text me in the week if you do that sin or how that's gone. We get away from just doing that. Not that that is bad. It is good to be accountable to people. But we get away from just distilling our discipleship merely down to how much have you sinned and how are you going to stop to how are you seeing Christ? How are you seeing and experiencing his love in your life? What adventures have you been on with Jesus? What dreams do you have for the kingdom of God? What is your purpose with him? Yes, stop doing those things that aren't helpful, but start doing some really helpful things that will give you fullness of life, fullness of joy, and you'll know the love of God. Let's not put crosses on people's backs and say, don't do this, do this. But let's say, look to the one who knows you, who loves you, who will help you lay your life down so that when you lose it, you'll find it again in him. It changes everything. And it's not always easy to get that balance right, is it, of inviting people to start doing things and laying things down. But I think something we've got to remember is that the key to discipleship is relationship with Jesus. If we are captivated by him, it will transform the people around us. It is crazy how many students I'll have come to me that will say, can you answer this question? Or what do you think about this? Or can you solve this for me? And at the beginning, when I first started doing student work, I would try my best to answer all their questions and to, to really go away and think, yep, this is this, or they have to know this, or they definitely need to, I need to get that truth across. And I've sort of changed a little bit now to just being like, you need to get this first. It doesn't actually matter about that stuff. It doesn't matter what's going on there. I need you to know that you are loved by the savior of the world and that will transform everything about you. So let's do that in our discipleship. Us ourselves looking to him, asking God, Lord, remind me how much you love me. And then for those around us, pointing them to him again and again and again. And that actually takes the pressure off, doesn't it? I think for some people, they think, well, I haven't been a Christian enough to disciple people, which isn't biblical at all. As soon as you become a Christian, you are a disciple maker. You're a family member. You are a missionary. You don't graduate to those steps. It all happens on that one day when you're saved. You are everything, and you are called to go and make disciples. So you get to do that. But what you're not called to be is a counselor, someone's personal sin manager, Jesus has done that, you are just called to point people again to Jesus over and over again saying, look to him, look to him, look to him. And my prayer for my discipleship and for our discipleship and as we disciple others is just that, that we would know God's love. And it's, um, it reminds me of what Paul prayed in Ephesians when he prayed. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. 
So yes, to be a disciple of Jesus is to deny yourself, to lose your life, to pick up that cross. But as we do that, we experience fullness of life, the fullness of God's love. That is where he meets us. And we find the more we pick, go daily to pick up this cross, actually the pathway to knowing Jesus becomes clearer. And the church going, the Bible reading, the community attending, the praying, the sharing, the gospel gets a lot easier. It doesn't actually feel like this heavy thing you have to do and you have to try and do well and you have to learn and copy others and do your best. Actually, it's just an overflow of who you are because you're totally see-through, inside and out. You just worship him. Every part of your being is just crying praises out to him, and that's what you want, just to love Christ. You long to be more like him. It's less about doing, less about a checklist and things to implement in your week, and it's more about how this week can I just glorify him. In everything, how can I accept more of his grace and his mercy, his goodness, as we heard in the worship time, in my life? How can I recognize that more? And so at the end of a preach on discipleship, I could do that. I could give you a checklist of things to do and things to start doing again. But I, I just feel like as we kick off this series... God just wants to tenderly invite all of us, myself included, us as a new community body, as we are understanding how we belong to this family, we have to start here. God is inviting you to fall head over heels, crazy, passionately in love with him again, or for the first time. He wants you to experience fullness of life, fullness of joy, again, or for the first time, or like never before. That is his invitation this morning to you. And that is all I want to say. He wants you to experience this. So over the next six weeks, you'll hear things to do and things we do to be part of a local body of believers. But we have to start here. Do you know that he adores you? Do you know that he loves you so much? It's not conditional. You don't have to do anything. But will you accept his love? So I'd actually just like to invite us to recognize the Holy Spirit's presence here, like we did in worship, um, and then I will pray for us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that your presence is here. We don't have to work ourselves up. We don't even need someone playing behind to experience you. Holy Spirit, we just want to recognize your presence now we want to know that you are here with us remind us of your love God how much you adore us you went to the ends of the earth for us you died for us 
overwhelm us with your love, God. I pray that everyone in this room would have a fresh experience and understanding of your deeply passionate love for them. And I pray that we learn how to return that to you as well, God. Thank you, Father. Amen.